Please rise for the reading of God's Word from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. We've been taking readings from the lectionary, and this is the reading for today. And uh, hear now God's Word, beginning in verse 8, Ephesians 5. For you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is uh, in all godliness, in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship uh, with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. There's a lot of territory to cover in sermons. And that's because uh, the Bible covers every area of life. The word of God instructs, it reproves, it rebukes, corrects, it admonishes, it exhorts. It wounds, it heals. Another thing it does is it gives us perspective by enabling us to see what we otherwise could not see. In other words, it sheds light in darkness. Of course, we need to see God himself in that light in order to know him. We need to have that light in order to perceive the world as we should perceive it. But one of the things that we sometimes fail to acknowledge or recognize is we desperately need to see ourselves in his light. Now that you're in Christ, what difference does that make? Who are you? Who are you? Imagine that you were born with a great title and fortune, and since I'm pretending this is a novel, um, you were separated from your royal family at birth. You grew up ignorant. You had no idea what a title or a fortune was. And so you went about in relative poverty, not knowing what was rightfully yours. I would like to suggest that many Christians do the same thing. On the other hand, it's possible to possess a name, a title, a position, or a fortune, and to fail to live up to it. Not every leader leads. Not every nobleman is noble. And so there are many husbands and wives and parents and students and employees and soldiers and Christians in this world, married people with children, enrolled in classes, hired by a company, entrusted, uh, enlisted in the military, and baptized as church members, but who we also know that in each of these positions there must also be a corresponding reality in order for those positions to be fruitful and meaningful. It's not enough simply to be married. It's not enough just to have a baby 
or to be enrolled in a class or to have a job or to wear a uniform or to join a church. There are husbands and wives who are unfaithful. There are abusive and neglectful parents. There are failing students. There are lazy employees. There are soldiers who are absent without leave. And so it is possible to be a baptized church member who is not following Jesus. All of these positions, uh, if we were to occupy, if I would become a parent, and if I wasn't a parent before, became married, and I wasn't married before, any of these positions, took a new job, and all of those should change who we are and how we live. These changes should be dramatic. They should be obvious. And if we continue to fail to show the evidence or fruit of our positions, it's possible that we could lose them. And that's why sometimes married people end up divorced or lose their parental rights or get expelled from school or fired from a job or court-martialed or excommunicated. Those are all kind of the same things. In each of these cases, it is the person who, who fails that is the cause of those actions. Each of those are just a recognition of a failure. Of course, there are many of us who fall in between who are perhaps at risk of losing our positions. We haven't gotten to that final point yet, but here we are somewhere in the middle. So Jesus warns in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide, that is, take up residence in me. A constant connection to Christ, a constant uh, engrafting, living relationship to Christ. So fruitless branches should beware. So the Apostle Paul has been writing to the Ephesians concerning what it looks like to be a true Christian. He's drawing a contrast between unbelief and belief. What's the difference? And so the current evidence of God's saving work is seen in what we call sanctification, which is, as the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it, the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. That's the fruit. That's the evidence that God's at work in us. There's cha- there are changes taking place. There's growth occurring. There's maturity coming about. So sanctification or holiness is not a single act, but it is the fruit that is worked out in our lives. We see that progress. It's the evidence of life, in other words. It's our condition or state. In fact, Paul is arguing that 
who you are in Christ is inevitably going to be seen in how you live, and that if you don't live the Christian life, then the truth is you're still in darkness no matter what else you might say. Now, some of you uh, have taught... um, I see that some of you have thought that sanctification is something that just happens to you, uh, and that you're passive. It's like a title that is just simply bestowed upon you with nothing else. Others say all you have to do is look to the Lord and name it and claim it. There's nothing to do, no real struggle, no real difficulty. You just need to claim the victory. Just claim the victory. You're in Jesus. It's all, just say that a lot. Right? But if this is true, then why did Paul write this epistle? Why does he take up so much space with his arguments about how we should live? I became a husband and a parent and a pastor in an instant. There was a moment when I wasn't married and the minister said, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And in that instant, I was a husband. There was a moment when our son wasn't born, and he was born, and I became a parent. There was a moment I wasn't a pastor, and they laid hands on me and ordained me, and I was a pastor in an instant. Those were my titles. Those were my positions. But the struggles, the working out of those positions were ongoing. I had to learn. I had to practice. And wisdom and maturity didn't just fall from the sky instantly. They came little by little, day by day. Kindergarten became before graduate school. So the Bible is clear that sanctification, holiness, comes by way of constant application of the truth, living in this new position that we have in Christ. Now, it's true that you must realize, you must embrace the truth of your titles and positions. They're far more than theories. They're far more than poetic metaphors. God doesn't simply look at you and pretend that you are holy when in reality you're just the way you used to be. A fundamental transformation has begun and it continues. Birth is exciting. We, we, we celebrate the birth of a baby. But then we celebrate the life of that baby. And we mark their material. We, we celebrate birthdays. Oh, he can, he said his first word, or she can walk, or we, we have all those little things where we're looking for the maturity and growth of that child, and that's what we delight in. The goal, of course, is for them to become adults, productive, mature adults. That's the evidence of what happened on that day they were born, that this is continuing, and the same for us as believers. So, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Let me come back to my example earlier of a student. Somebody may ask, is, uh, is, uh, is Joe a, uh, a student in your class? And I could get out my roll book and look, and, oh yeah, we, we've got 24 enrolled, and yes, Joe is a student. But Joe's failing the class. So there's another sense in which I'd say, but Joe's really not a student. He is a student objectively, but in terms of his performance, if he keeps this up, he's not going to remain a student. He's going to be, he's either going to fail the class or 
he's going to drop the class or we're going to remove him from the class. One of those things, because he's not doing what students should do. We say the same thing about husbands or parents or employees, right? Well, the same thing can be said about those who have the title of Christian. So Paul has given us both negative and positive arguments that lead us to the injunctions, to his injunctions to walk in love, to walk in light, and walk in wisdom. And today we're going to focus on this text of what it means to walk in light. This is the fundamental difference between Christian and non-Christian. Remember, you could have the name Christian. That is, you could be a baptized church member and still not be a Christian in that most fundamental sense. Just like you could be enrolled in a class but not be a student. In other words, you can claim to be in the light while standing in the dark. It's the light not the claim that makes the difference. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He went on to say, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk or live in darkness, but have the light of life. That's the evidence. When Jesus addresses his followers, he says to them in Matthew 5:14, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It's obvious. It won't be maybe, I hope so, seems like, I'm pretty sure. No, there's no question. In other words, because of our relationship with Him, we are lights that cannot be hidden. John 1.4, in Him was life and the life was the light of men. John 1, 9, this is why Jesus came into the world, as John writes of him, who was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. So this is one of the primary ways that the Bible presents the truth of the Christian faith. We are not simply better versions of our old selves. We've been born again. And so a simple question, a simple evangelical question, does that describe you? Yes or no? Fundamentally. If not, then you should be alarmed because here's what the Bible says. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away and behold, everything has become new. Everything is in a new light. I see things differently. I think differently. My perspective is utterly changed. I still have maturing to do. But it's in a radically new position. You were brought out of nothing. For once you were darkness, he says, but now you are light. It doesn't get any more stark than that. Light and darkness. Notice it says, you were and now you are. Do you remember that darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters and God said, let there be light and there was light. That's how dramatic the work of God's salvation is. Your position has gone from the chaos in the dark to the order that comes with light These are eternal opposites. And as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 
there is no communion between dark, darkness, and light. So if you look at yourself, or others look at you, and have to wonder if you're living in the light, then you're not. How do you act at home? How do you act at work? How do you act at school? Notice I didn't say how did you act at church. Now, I'm not concerned, and you should not be concerned, if you can't put your finger on the moment that you pass from darkness to light. Many of you were born into Christian homes, and you were baptized very early. And perhaps you've lived, been in, living in the light from day one. For some, this is as stark, though, as someone turning on a light switch in a dark room. Things were pitch black, and suddenly things were blindingly bright. For others, it's more like the rising sun at dawn. A gradual move from night to day. But the method or the process is not so important. The question is, as you sit here right now, are you living in the light or in the dark? It's one or the other. To change the metaphor, you're either on the train or you're in the station. You can't be both. Being close to the kingdom of light is still darkness. I was once on a flight out of New York that had been overbooked by 50 people. I was the last one to get on the plane, and the guy behind me didn't make it. What's the nature of the difference between believer and unbeliever? What does it say? For you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He doesn't say that you once were in the darkness and now you're in the light. He says you were darkness and now you are light. Not only were you in the dark, the dark was in you. But now you've not only been enlightened, you are light. In other places, Paul has hit on this idea. Romans 1.21, their foolish hearts were darkened. Ephesians 4.18, having their understanding darkened. And Jesus describes the problem this way in John 3.19, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved Darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. The unbeliever loves darkness because that's where they would rather be. It's where they're the most comfortable. They act one way, perhaps, in front of parents or pastors or church people, but another way with friends or at work or with a girlfriend or a boyfriend. I've seen many young people who knew how to say, yes, sir to my face, or how to show outward respect to authority, but who inwardly despised those to whom they were speaking. But for the believer, the believer has been fundamentally and dramatically transformed. Second Corinthians 4, 6, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, 
Remember that one? Let there be light, and there was light. Who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's the same God and the same dramatic results. This is the true enlightenment. It's not enough to have the light shine on the outside. We need the Word and the Spirit. The Word is a, is a light and a lamp, That's no, but that's of no use to a blind man or a dead man. That's going to require the work of the Spirit. So how did Lydia come to see the light? Acts 16, 14, the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. When God brought Ezekiel out to the valley of the dry bones and he observed that they were very dry, that multitude of bones in the valley that he saw. So Ezekiel first spoke to the bones, but only when he spoke to the wind, that is, to the Spirit. The Spirit moved and breath came into them, it says, and they lived and stood up on their feet, an exceeding great army. Because a dead army is worthless. That uniform cannot fight. And your baptism as essential and important as it is, is not enough. Paul knows something about this, doesn't he? You remember what happened to him on the road to Damascus, don't you? This was a circumcised man. He had received the sign of the covenant. And he was out breathing threats against God's people. Helping martyr Christians. And the grace of God arrested him on the road to Damascus. He was headed out to do his dirty deeds when Jesus stopped him with a blinding light. Stopped him in his tracks, called him out, turned him around. And soon the scales would fall from his eyes and he would set out a new man to change the world. So I ask each of you, young, old, this is a simple sermon today with one point. Does the bright light of Jesus Christ shine in your heart right this minute? Or are you anxious to get back to your dark corner where you can do what you really want to do? Walking in the light means living every moment in His light. It means that you are an openly religious person. You're not ashamed of being in Christ. Now, I'm not going to take the time to give all the exceptions. that Yes, you can be a religious, obnoxious jerk. That's not what I'm saying. But anyone who's been around you for very long at all would know at least that there's something different about you by the way you talk by the way you act by your kindness by your service by the way you speak about your wife or your children or your husband it wouldn't take very long because they would see light light would be coming out 
There's a difference. And if there's no difference, then what's the difference? Are you uncomfortable in that kind of light? Jesus is the light of the world, and he has called you, because you now are light, to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, the Pharisees were different, right? They, they put on a show to be seen by men so people would glorify them. And so sometimes people use that, oh, I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to go out and wear my religion on my sleeve where everybody can see it. Well, you should not want to be a Pharisee, but you should want to be light. And you should want to be seen. You are seen. You can't not be seen. You want to be seen in this light. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's how we know. That's how you know. That's how the world knows that you belong to him. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that each of us will separate ourselves from the darkness and bask in the light of Jesus Christ. That we will not only live in the light, but that we will actually be light ourselves as we reflect him to the world. I pray for those who are Christian in name only, that they will be shown the light of the gospel, that the scales will fall from their eyes. Father, we have young people who rarely think about you and who revel in darkness. We have adults who hide from you and pretend to live in the light. And we have many who have been given a new name and a new position, but have yet to embrace the reality and the power of living in the light. Help us all, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Why? That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, Glorify God in the day of visitation. So all of God's children are invited to his table to commune with him and with his special people. Most, if not all of you, have been given the name Christian. You've been baptized or members of the church and would, when asked, say, yes, I am a Christian. The real evidence of this is found in the marvelous light that you live in your honorable conduct among unbelievers, your reputation of good works, which clearly point to your relationship to the Heavenly Father. That's who this meal is for. 
And that's what this meal is for. It's for the nourishment of God's genuine children. It is only bread and wine for some. It is the body and blood of Jesus for others. So 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. And now, O Lord our God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now your manifold wisdom might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which you accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him, we pledge ourselves to you, one people, one church, forever and ever. Bless now our resting and our feasting, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Amen.